Well, junior camp is much more interesting than uh, middle camp. Junior high kids are uh, fun, but uh, third through fifth graders are nuts. <laughs> we, had, uh, we had so many. One of my favorite things that happened, I'll just stick to one, is uh, uh, Joey, uh, this is uh, Jenny's, Jenny and David's nephew, uh, came with us, came with Roland, and um, he was sitting there on his bunk one day, and he said, guys, I'm starting to feel like this feels like a family. <laughs> and then Tyler Vaughn said, and I'm starting to feel like it wouldn't be the same without me. <laughs> and, and you know what? They were both right. That's the way it should be. It should, that's the way families are. Families, we want you to know that you're part of this family. And that really it wouldn't be the same without you. You have something to offer us, and, um, and that is not to be undervalued. And so we're so thankful you are here. We're thankful that you're a part of this family and uh, worshiping God with us. Uh, the story of Job is one of pain and suffering and conversation. The first two chapters are pain and suffering. And then the next 39 chapters are conversation. And we just hit the conversation part. Um, we are, uh, if, you, if you don't know the story, uh, Satan comes to God and says, uh, does, does man serve you for nothing? And that's the ultimate question of the book. Does man serve God for nothing? Or, is it or do we only serve God when things are good? And do we abandon God when things are bad? Does man serve God for nothing? And Satan's belief is that if you take everything away from man, man um, will curse God, man will leave God. And God says, I don't think that's true. And so they take all of Job's possessions which counts his kids. And then they take his health. And his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. I, I just I, last week I really struggled with Zophar. I know it's Zophar, but every time I said it, I think that sounds wrong. I'm thinking of Jafar from Aladdin. <laughs> I'm getting those two names mixed up. I just now realized why, what am I, why do I want to call him Jophar? Um, so Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar show up. And they sit with Job for quite a while in silence. And it's Job that breaks the silence. After this, after they sat with him for a while, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish or die. And the night that said, a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse day... curse. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse the Leviathan. That's a, like a sea monster kind of thing. It's just a mythical monster that they thought would just could come up and destroy things. You know, like release the Kraken kind of thing. 
Um, May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the door. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees? Why were there knees there to receive me and breasts? That I might, might be nursed. For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth. Who built for themselves places. Now lying in ruins with princes who had gold. Who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child. Like an infant who never saw the light of day. There, was, there the wicked cease from turmoil. And there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave driver shout. The small and the great are there, and the slaves are freed and their owners are from their owners. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than their hidden treasures, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden from God whom God has hedged in. For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I fear has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. The rest of the book of Job are Job's friends responding to what he just said. His lament. He sits there with his children all gone. His body betraying him. And he wishes he was dead. He wishes the day that he was born hadn't ever happened. And his friends are very uncomfortable with this. His friends say, no, no, listen. And we'll get into what they do next week. But his friends say, no, there's got to be reasons for this. There's part of, like, God, we can, we can predict God. You need to think this way, or you need to think that way. They are uncomfortable with his grief. Just like we are uncomfortable with such a poem. We don't have any songs like this. Although this is a poem, they, get, they have psalms of lament. In, in the book of Psalms, there's several psalms that are lament. My God, my God, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are your ears far from my plea? Why, why have you gone away? He says, my bones are out of joint. My tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth. This is not a good day. This is not a day that I want to celebrate. And Job goes even farther and says, the day I was born, I wish it was gone. Curse it. Now the rest of Job, and this is probably why we don't read it very much, the rest of Job is formatted just like this. It's real repetitive. 
They make their points, they make their points, they make their points. They tell you they're going to make their points, and then they make their points. And all of this pain and brokenness, Job feels on his soul. And he wishes he was dead. And so he proclaims that. When I, when I was growing up, I don't remember church. I remember church being like fun in places, you know, VBS. But I remember like the, I remember this moment wasn't, I, we, they would talk about, we need to be the happiest people on earth. I'm like, okay, when are we going to start? <laughs> like I loved, I loved Cora running through here. She just forced gumped right out the back. Love that. You know, the disciples, whenever kids came to Jesus, the disciples thought that their business was too serious for children. And Jesus told them otherwise, didn't he? But I always thought, like, they were, we need to be the happiest people on earth. But real happiness was sort of frowned upon in the moment of worship. Any joy was like, any, like, exuberance was... Mm, you're going to settle down, you're distracting. But also, and I think this is, this is really detrimental too, real sorrow in the Christian life is often frowned upon as well. So we don't get either. We don't get to be actually joyful. We don't get to be exuberant. And we don't get to lament. In our particular tradition, it's because we lack our brains. But you know your brains give you emotions, too. Joy comes from brain. The lament comes from the brain. And I think if we become better at lamenting, we will experience the full range of joy. Now, we don't lament so that we can feel joy. <laughs> For the bulletin, I look up quote, I try to find a good quote to put on the front that kind of associates what we're talking about. And I typed in Christian lament quotes. I do some serious research on Google. Christian, if, I, if nothing comes to my mind, I think, oh, let's, let's look at Goodreads or whatever. They, they have some, a good list of quotes. Uh, Christian lament quotes. And every single one of them had something to do with lament should be balanced with happiness. Our sorrows will go away soon. Nothing about the fact that whenever we are sad, we get to be sad. When there is sorrow, we get to have it. Like Jesus is absolutely okay with us weeping. He wept. Jesus is absolutely okay with us being sad as long as we need it. You go to funerals and you'll hear people say things like, you know, he's in a better place, and they're trying to rationalize sorrow. He's in a better place. God has a plan for everything. God might have needed another angel. Doesn't, doesn't grandpa look good? Say that one. You know, they're, they're basically commenting on the mortician's job. The mortician did a good job. But the answer to that statement is, no, Grandpa looks dead. 
He doesn't look good. That's not, that's not good. We don't, get to, we don't get to rationalize our sorrow. We, have, we need to be sad. And people tell you it's going to be okay. I know that. Don't tell me it's going to be okay. Let me sit in my sorrow. Let me curse the day I was born. Let me be sad about this moment because this moment is affecting me. And unless I deal with it, I won't be able to deal with others. Christians for too long have been shoving their grief down into their soul, pretending it isn't there. Christians should be the most capable people on the planet of expressing their joy and their sorrow. We should share our laments without, without, without consequence, without someone judging us, without saying, uh, oh, but now listen, you really shouldn't feel that way. Don't tell me how I should feel feel because that feeling's just hitting me and I can't I I can't I can't put it out of my mind have you ever thought your spouse said the wrong thing like wait what what'd you say I said this you know what you typically do when you do that? You go, oh, because I thought you said this, and if you said that, then that, that, that. I've got to deal with it. Because I was, although it was ignorantly offended, I was offended. And I've got to deal with it. Because you feel something. Rachel and I watched the show on Netflix called Stranger Things. Someone said, hey, y'all should watch Stranger Things. And we were like, well, we don't really like scary movies, scary shows. What, what's a, not because we're holy or anything, we just get scared. But the, <laughs> we don't like scary shows. And they said, oh, no, it's not really scary. It's a little intense in places. It's not really scary. And then a monster comes through the wall. And you're like, what? Who? Who is this not scary to? We had a small dog at the time. And after we would watch the show, we'd watch two or three of them. And we would, and Rachel would say, you need to take the dog outside. <laughs> so I take the dog outside, and I'm a grown man. I'm 36. I should be able to stand there. And I did, because I'm a brave man. <laughs> but I stood there, I stood there and watched the dog, and the whole time thinking, Oh, oh, hey, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> the whole time, I'm just nervous as all get out. Like, everything's fine. I'm having to talk my brain into not feeling the way it feels, and it's impossible. Do you know why? Because that part of your brain doesn't speak English. It's true. You can't reason emotion away. So the people, when you're sad, the people who come to you and say, you shouldn't be sad. 
When you're angry and the people come to you and say, listen, calm down. That always works, doesn't it? You can't, we can't get out of that place. The best thing to do is to take it to God and say, this is how I feel right now. Not so that God can fix it, because sadness is not an emotion that needs to be fixed. But so that we can feel fully in the presence of God. Now, this does not mean that in your sadness or in your anger or in your frustrations or in your any of those, like the, what we would consider negative emotions. We probably need to come up with a better phrase than that, but let's just stick with that one for a second. Any of those, those painful emotions, how about that? The painful emotions, in those moments, we are not to do damage to our relationship. Notice what Job does. He laments the day he was born. I wish it wouldn't have even happened. I wish I wish I I wish I would have been stillborn. I wish I wouldn't have it wouldn't have even the day wipe the day off the calendar. But remember the whole point of Job. Will man serve God for nothing? See, the debate is. And Satan says this out of the gate. You take away his things, he will curse you to your face. says it twice. 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 says it twice. Once in the first chapter, once in the second chapter. You take away his stuff, you take away his health, he will curse you. And then there is no big build to the answer of the book. Because the answer comes in chapter 3. Very verse, very first verse. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. If you were being read this story for the first time, you'd be on the edge of your seat to figure out who Job After this, after all this, let me tell you what happened. Job opened his mouth and cursed. What did he curse? Not God. The day of his birth. It's a big difference. And the whole book, the whole argument of Satan falls apart in chapter 3, verse 1. That indeed, man will serve God for nothing. And when you take away their stuff, you take away their health, man will not curse God. Job's wife argued that he should. And instead, he cursed the day of his birth. That's how he felt. But he still cursed his birth and the presence and relationship with God. Will man be in relationship with God through difficulty, even when it doesn't seem to benefit them? And the answer 
for an upright man like Job? Is yes. But as we will find, when our friends are around us constantly telling us that everything's going to be okay, everything's going to get better, everything's going to be fine, just listen, maybe it's something you did, maybe it's something you need to repent of. That doesn't push us in a healthy direction. One of the hardest things to do as a parent is to let your kid feel awful. Not whenever, you, you know, there's sometimes you want them to feel awful about what they did. You're like, oh, got them to cry, sweet, you know. <laughs> but when they come to you and they say, I'm, I'm so bad at My instinct is to say, no, 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 sweetie, you're good at it. But what if they're not? And it really makes them sad. The hardest thing to do is just sit there and be silent with them. To let them know that their dad, their mom, is with them in their pain. One of the hardest things to do as, as a Christian is to see someone as a Christian say, I just wish I was dead. And our instinct is to be like, no, you have a lot to live for, you know, and you argue with them. But they're telling you how they feel. And let's, let's allow that. Because they're not cursing God. And as God's representatives, we, as the kingdom of God, we sit beside them and grieve with them. If you're struggling with depression, I don't think you can pray it away. But I do think you can pray with it. I do think you can sit in the presence of God in the state of depression, in the state of anxiety, in the state of joy, when you're just caught in the mundane aspects of life. When you feel like cursing the day you were born, you can be with God. You can be present with God. People may try to tell you, and listen, tell them your preacher told them not to do this. People may try to tell you, oh, come on, you need to be happy. Yeah, look, look at all the things you have to live for. That's not how I feel right now. There is not a proper way to feel as a Christian. But there are proper ways to sit with people who are feeling ways that we feel uncomfortable about. If you are nervous, if you are depressed, if you're anxious, if you're joyful, if you're scared, we are with you as a church. That's what we're here. We're part of the family. And it wouldn't be the same without you. No matter how, how you're feeling, it wouldn't be the same without you. 
And if you're thinking about joining the family of God and you think, I just, I'm, not, I'm not one of those happy Christian types. I can, be, I can tell you, we're mostly faking it and we're working on that. We're working on being genuine. I've said this before, but I think it's important. The world does not think we're hypocrites because we sin or because we're sad. They think we're hypocrites because we proclaim, we act like we don't sin and we act like we're not sad. They think we're hypocrites because of the mask, not because of the true self. And if we showed the world genuineness, I'm a sad Christian, I'm a joyful Christian, I'm an excited Christian, I'm, an, I'm a scared Christian, I'm whatever it is, but I'm doing it in the way of Jesus, and I am following God within it. That's genuine Christianity. That's a genuine life lived. And that sort of life where we're not alone in our, in our brokenness, we're not alone in our joy, we're not alone in our sorrow, that side, sort of life is open to all who come to Jesus. So come to Jesus this morning as we stand and as we sing.